Amen. Well, thank you to Sarita and the team. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be back home. For those who didn't notice that I was missing, our family were on vacation. Um, but you don't need to feel bad for us. We were on vacation in Mexico. Uh, that's a great place. If you've ever had the opportunity to go, you should really, you know, if you haven't had the opportunity to go, you should go. Um, and I realize some of you are going, well, Brian, you know, not all of us are in ministry. We don't get that flashy salary that you get. And so we can't get to Mexico in our private jets or anything like that. Uh, you know, the trip to Mexico, really, I got to stand here before you and say it was a complete gift of grace. Um, we did not pay for our tickets or our accommodation uh, in Mexico. It was completely a gift of grace. As a friend of mine phoned us up a few weeks ago, or a few months, I should say, and said, hey, Brian, how would you and the family like to go to Mexico for a week? And I don't know about you, but who says no to a free week in Mexico? So surprise, surprise, we were in Mexico, um, and then we had COVID. So, you know, you don't have to feel too bad for me for getting a suntan. I also got a disease in the same time. And uh, thanks be to God, I am back to normal, so you don't have to, like, try and avoid me like the plague later on. We're good. Uh, although I do still have this lingering little nuisance of a cough, and the only way I can kind of keep it under control is I have to speak a little slower, which for me is hard work. Uh, and I know many of you are saying, thank you, Jesus, that you have finally slowed Brian down. Now we can understand him. Uh, so I will endeavor to do my best. Uh, you know, as I, I look at this kind of scene behind me, you know, there's a couch on the stage. I, I kind of feel like I have to sit on a couch on the stage. And I'm sorry if you guys can't see me through the, the mic stand there, but, you know, it's cozy. It's comfortable. Uh, one thing about me that maybe you don't know is I love reading. I, I, I read as much as I can. I have these little piles of books all over the house. Uh, and it often drives Cindy crazy because I'll have a pile of books next to my desk. I'll have a pile of books on the coffee table in the lounge. Uh, and so Cindy kind of follows me around the house. And if she sees a book that's been there for a little while, and if it's, if it's clearly a theological book or a church book, she'll put it into a bag by the front door so that I can bring it back to church. And then she gets doubly mad because I'll scratch through that bag and go, oh, I haven't finished this one. And then I relocate it around the house. Uh, but part of why I love reading, and, and I'm, I'm sorry if you're one of those people who goes, you know what, I just can't stand reading. I, I, you know, I'm sorry, you're missing out on a whole world out there. But part of why I love reading is because it helps me grow. You know, despite what my children believe, I don't know absolutely everything. It's, it's, no one knows absolutely everything. The only way we grow, the only way we learn, the only way we develop is by engaging. And so we read, and we learn, and we develop. And over these last couple of weeks and these next few weeks, this is kind of the theme, the, the sense that we've been journeying together as a church. 
We've had this theme running called, how did we get here? Uh, And it's a little bit of a journey into who are we as White Rock Baptist Church and who are we as part of the broader Canadian Baptists of Western Canada? How did we get to this place? How How did we arrive at the beliefs we have? How did we arrive at the distinctives that mark us as to who we are? And one of the ways we arrive there, I would say one of the main ways we arrive there, is through reading and through discussion and through debates and engaging and dialoguing with one another. You know, when the pastoral team kind of spoke about, why don't we set up something on the stage to capture some of that thought? One of the images that came to mind was this image of, you know, you could almost imagine like a lawyer's office if you've ever been into a legal office. Uh, You know, there's this great big desk and there's always just bookshelves of tomes of legal writings and books. And it has this sense of it's a study, it's a place of learning, it's a place of knowledge. And we we thought about that because really theology that has developed over years and over centuries has developed through learning. But we stuck on this because we felt this was way more inviting. You know, it's not just this dusty, stuffy old office, this dusty, stuffy old place of theology. It's a place of comfort where we can sit together, we can share over a cup of coffee, and we can engage with what does the Bible say and how does the Bible direct us as we live. And so this is this theme of how did we get here. Now, before I fall asleep on the couch, I should probably move over here. You heard through the welcome and the announcements that this morning is our AGM. Uh, After the service, staying here in the sanctuary, those who call White Rock Baptist Church their home church and have kind of indicated that through the formal process of membership will gather together and we will discuss and dialogue and ultimately vote on certain things because we believe together that we hear the voice of God and the Spirit of God leads us as a body as we try and figure out who we are and what God has in store for us. And even as we do that, it's not just simply a democracy. It might look like that in certain points. And not at all. It's a, it's a theocracy. God is in control. God is in charge. We believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sits over the church and he directs us and we come together and we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us so that we can determine what God's will is for us as we impact our community. And so over the last few weeks and for the next few weeks, we're looking at what is it that makes us who we are? What is our statement of faith? What are those distinctives that make us who we are? And as we've said over time, it's not that we're somehow special. It's not that we're somehow better than any other church or any other denomination. Not at all. In fact, most of our statement of faith and many of our distinctives, a number of other churches hold as well. As we seek to be faithful to the word of Scripture and as we seek to be faithful to God's call on us as a community. Now, it might be that you're visiting online this morning or perhaps you're in the sanctuary visiting us today and and you're kind of coming in going, you know what, Brian, I need a message for myself. I need some hope from Jesus. I, I need the touch of God. I really, you know, I, I, that's what I need. 
And now you're kind of hearing me talk about how did we get here, this is who we are, and statements of faith and Baptist distinctives, and you're going, oh dear Lord, this is just going to turn into some boring lecture. Why am I here? Stick with me to the end. Because I believe that even as we come in as individuals, every one of us, with our own cares and our own concerns and our own needs from God, God responds to that in the corporate. And God responds to that by saying, come together as my people and live and obey me as my people and I will meet you in that place. So where are we going? You know, I kind of, I think it was either last week or the week before, uh, sorry, it was the week before when Hannah got up to preach. And Hannah spoke about how the coming assembly, the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada, in May have their assembly, which is just like our little AGM that will take place this morning. That's the denominational general meeting that will take place. And at the AGM this year, we're voting on a motion. The motion is very simple. The motion we're voting on this year simply says, be it resolved that we, the member churches of the CBWC, affirm the identity statement. And over the last few weeks, we've been introduced into what is that, our statement of faith and our distinctives. In fact, Hannah did an incredible job two weeks ago in her message titled Rooted and Established. And if you missed that, you need to hop online and you need to watch that message. You know, Hannah kind of begins by saying, this is a place where we're invited to worship. Our statement of faith, our distinctives, they begin in worship and they lead us into a place of worship. They're not these dull, stuffy, academic thoughts. They're not just a series of propositions. They're a position of worship. We worship God. And this is why and this is how. And kind of as we looked at that Apostles' Creed, if you will, uh, she quoted Daryl Johnson and Hannah, it, sorry, Daryl Johnson said, I think Hannah wishes she said this, but Daryl Johnson said it. Uh, Daryl Johnson said, worship does not begin with us. It began before we arrived this morning and it will continue when we leave. And it's that powerful reminder that God is being worshipped 24-7. In the very presence, in the very throne room of God, the angels declare his praises. There isn't a moment of the day, there is no time, there is no point where God is not being worshipped. And we are invited into that place of worship. And one of my favorite quotes is by John Piper when John Piper said, Mission exists because worship does not. And really what he's getting at is we are invited into this mission. We're, we're there to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, but ultimately to invite people into a place of worship. Because we want people to join us as we worship God. And then last week, Jennifer spoke about our mission and our ordinances. And again, she alluded to that vote in assembly, but she kind of pointed out that our mission really is to make disciples. That's why we're here. We can say all sorts of things. We can gather in life groups. We can have coffee after the service. And, and when we're allowed to, we can have lunch together. And we can enjoy each other's company. And we can use those words like fellowship and coming together and all that. But the reason we're here, 
The point of White Rock Baptist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This church has a mission to proclaim the gospel. We call it the Great Commission, to go and to make. And this is why we're so excited about our baptism service taking place on the 10th of April. And if you're kind of sitting on the fence going, I've never been baptized, I've never publicly declared my faith in Jesus Christ, and you want to know more, email myself, email Pastor Jennifer, reach out to the office. We would love to journey with you as we gather together to celebrate the work of God in people's lives. So what about this week? Where are we going? What's happening? My, my title, if you're, you're still taking notes, if, uh, if you want to kind of take it down on your phone or if you've got an old school paper and journal, my title this morning is Free to Believe Together. Free to Believe Together. Our CBWC assembly that's taking place in May later on this year, uh, the key verse for the assembly is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 19. And as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in verses 17 to 19, he simply says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy presence and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Life together. Sounds nice, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that what we're hoping for? Isn't that what we're trying to achieve? Life together. But let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a room with friends, like a room of equals, Let's say there are three or more of you, and you're trying to make a decision. Let's say it's where to eat or what to do. How smoothly does that go? It doesn't. In fact, you know, while we were in Mexico, the one day we were trying to figure out what to do, and, and kind of we were all sitting around the table discussing all our options for the day, and we had a, a kind of multitude of options, and we could not make a decision, even just to go and have some fun. And eventually, in exasperation, one of my friends just went, Cindy, you decide. You think Cindy decided really easily and quickly? Even there. But then she made the best decision, and it was the greatest day ever. Life together sounds wonderful until we put it into practice. And it is exactly the same in the church. We know that we're invited to do life together. We know that we're supposed to love one another. We know we're supposed to live in harmony and unity. But man, is it ever difficult we have different views, we have different even beliefs, we have different ideals, different desires. And yet we come together and somehow we pray and we say, God, help us to do this together. And you know what God does? And this is what blows me away. Is because even in our little frustration points, even in our differences of opinion, even as we approach a life differently, God still brings us together 
And God still does what God has always been doing. He changes people's lives and he impacts the world. You know, today as I I look at those Baptist distinctives, there are two that I'm speaking about. And and really, I want to mention the first one kind of in passing as a segue into the next because I believe they, they go together. At first glance, you might go, how do those two link? Stick with me. I will show you. The two distinctives I'm looking at today are marriage and the separation of church and state. I think we've got the motion for marriage, or sorry, the the, um, distinctive for marriage that can go up on the screen. Uh, This is what we as Baptists, what we as Canadian Baptists of Western Canada define marriage as. Uh, We define marriage as a publicly recognized lifelong covenant between a woman and a man whose relationship is characterized by loving faithfulness. The purpose of marriage is interdependence, mutual responsibility, and potential for procreation. Marriage symbolizes the relationship of God to his people and of Christ to his church. And I won't read all of those verses, but those are the verses that we use. (coughs) Excuse me. The second one is the separation of church and state. And we can get that separation of church and state up on screen as well. This is what we, as one of our distinctives, state. We affirm the practice of religious liberty and freedom of conscience to be essential to the security and well-being of both the church and the state and recognize the unique and separate functions of each. The church is called to be salt and light in the world, pointing to the kingdom of God and contributing to the greater good for all. And again, there's a selection of verses. Now, I know many of you are thinking, Brian, we're in a Baptist church. We're people of the book. Please, can you quote from the Bible and not from our Baptist distinctives? And I'm glad you're asking that. When I look at marriage, Proverbs 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. Can I get an amen? There were no amens there. David, you should be saying amen the loudest. David got married last, last week, last week to his bride, Gatim, next to him. So well done on getting married and finding a wife and finding favor from the Lord. Yeah, we read way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his parents and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You know, the reason we talk about marriage is because we believe marriage is God's ideal for the sake of community. Marriage isn't just some afterthought. It's not just some convenience. Marriage is God's gift. Marriage is God's ideal. And I know some of us kind of read through that and we might go, why on earth do we put marriage in an identity statement? Because we believe marriage is crucial. Now, now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you have to be married to be a Christian. Not at all. God works through all people. Uh, the scriptures, many of them have been written by those who were not married. And no, you don't have to be married to be a Christian. You know, those who are single or, or perhaps those who are, are widowed, God still works with, God still blesses incredibly, and God still uses in incredible ways. 
But we affirm marriage as God's ideal because, as I said, it was given to us by God to fulfill his purpose on earth. And of course, like all of God's ideals, we have messed up. And so even in this place called marriage... There are still countless marriages that end in divorce. There are countless marriages that never reach that God-honoring potential, that redemptive potential that God had in store. And so we, we mess up God's ideals, but thankfully, God still works through our brokenness. God still does incredible things in this world. You know, I, I just joked about David and Gatine getting married, but I know a whole bunch of you here this morning were with us yesterday as we celebrated David and Victoria's marriage. And, and it, kind of, it felt really weird, I'm not going to lie to you. It's the first kind of party thing like that that I've been to in two years. Uh, and I know there were others that were at the wedding yesterday who kind of felt this just feels really weird in one sense, but feels oh so good and so amazing in another sense. And why it feels so good is because we know we're supposed to gather. We're supposed to celebrate. We're supposed to feast. It's this God-honoring, God-ordained, God-worshipping place where we, we worship and we celebrate together. You know, I, I had the opportunity of sharing a bit of a testimony, and, and I just love the way God works. Uh, you know, God works despite my best efforts. Uh, this Tuesday, I'm officiating a wedding here at the church for a couple that I, I don't know. I hadn't met them until last week. A couple who have been living together for a number of years and in just this incredible testimony, this incredible way of God at work in their lives, they got to the point of realizing, yeah, we've been living together for years. That's not God honoring. That's not what God calls us to we need to be married. We need to be married, not just in the eyes of the law, because although we live together and we're seen as common law, we need to be married in covenant before God. And so this couple arrived in our church doorstep, not knowing us. I think they found us through Google or something like that. Well, through God, I suppose. And I get to officiate this wedding. And why would people do that? Why would people believe that the Holy Spirit has guided them not simply to live together, but to be married because it's God's ideal? And many of us would ask, well, why? Why on earth does God do this? You know, Ephesians chapter 5, and I won't read the whole passage of Ephesians chapter 5, but in Ephesians chapter 5, we catch a glimpse of this mystery of this thing called marriage. Marriage isn't just simply for a husband and a wife and for a man and a woman to come together. Marriage is a profound mystery, and it is a metaphor. It is a picture. And as we read through Ephesians chapter 5, we see this image of both sides submitting to one another out of reverence and out of love and out of worship and ultimately laying down their lives for one another because it's an image of Christ and the church. You know, White Rock Baptist Church, as part of the global church, we are the bride of Christ. We're being prepared for this incredible marriage union where we will celebrate for all eternity as the bride of our groom, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we come together and we celebrate 
with friends or, or when we see a couple like we see seeing on Tuesday coming along, we kind of acknowledge there's so much more than just that little marriage. This is a picture of what God is doing. And this is why marriage is so crucial. Now, I said marriage would be the kind of first point that springboards into the second point this morning. And that's this idea of the separation of church and state, or or sometimes referred to as religious liberty. Haven't we heard a lot about the separation of church and state during the COVID pandemic? How many churches uh, use this idea, the separation of church and state, to, to say that the government has no right to infringe on their purpose to worship, or the government has no right to infringe on how we operate as a church? And, and so churches have defied government rules and orders, and, and we could debate this for hours. That's not where I want to go this morning. But when I read Romans chapter 13, and I read 1 Peter chapter 2, I see both Paul and Peter writing to Christians, writing to local churches. And in fact, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, Paul simply says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And then Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Love as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now, make no mistake. I agree with you. There are a bunch of rules both provincially and federally, that really just make no sense. And they are stupid. But whether I think they're stupid and you think they're stupid is beside the point. Unless they directly contradict a direct command of God, And unless government tries to coerce us to intentionally disobey a direct command of God, you and I are still called to adhere to those rules as good citizens, as godly citizens, as people who understand that we don't just simply submit to those rules, we submit to God who has put this in place. And I know that begs all sorts of questions. But Brian, what if my ruler over me is clearly godless? What if the ruler over us keeps bringing these rules that are are just completely against what I believe to be in good conscience? Or what I believe to be God's ideal for human flourishing? What do I do in that place? You know what separation of church and state does not mean? It doesn't mean don't get involved in politics. It doesn't mean don't lobby government. It doesn't mean don't push and speak out and, in a sense, fight for those that need us to fight for them in order to bring godly principles in place. 
But you know what? The separation of church and state means that we don't ever hope for a Christian nation whereby rules and Christian decrees will help us live a good and godly life. You know, for, as far as I'm concerned, a Christian nation is an oxymoron because it is never the place that develops disciples of Jesus Christ. Never. You might kind of go, Brian, I, I, you know, how could that be? I grew up in apartheid-era South Africa. We were a Christian nation. We used Scripture to subjugate people. We used Scripture to say that anybody who wasn't white was second-rate. Anybody who didn't fit and conform to this was less than. And we believed we were doing what God wanted us to do. And I look back and think that was evil. That's what that was. You know, don't ever think that a Christian nation is God's answer and suddenly that's going to make everything better. Unless God is on the throne for all eternity, that's not what we should be fighting for. What we should be fighting for is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in that dark place. And in this place of, of, uh, of separation of church and states, of trying to prevent those coercive rules over us, you know, there's a line I read, and I know some of you heard it because you've heard me say it a few times over the last few weeks and months. We affirm the practice of religious liberty and freedom of conscience to be essential. A religious liberty is not a license to sin. Religious liberty is not the license or not the opportunity to say, you know what, this is what I believe and only God can judge me, so please leave me in my life of sin. Not at all. Religious liberty means that as disciples of Christ, we gather together and, and around the couch and with our scripture and with our books, we read and we speak and we engage and we determine what does scripture call us to do. And then we live accordingly. And what happens when we get to those places where we don't agree? You know, within the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada, we've been ordaining women into ministry for more than 50 years. Here at White Rock Baptist Church, we are blessed to have had and still have women in our pastoral team because we believe God works through women and gifts women the same way that he gifts men for ministry. But there are churches within our Canadian Baptists of Western Canada who do not believe that, who do not believe that women should be ordained into ministry. I have brothers in the ministry whom I love and whom I respect who genuinely think that we are sinning because we have women who speak from our pulpit. So who's right? Who's right? If one side says one thing and the other side says the other, who is right? Clearly one must be. And isn't that just the beauty of it? We're going to debate this until Jesus comes again. And I'm pretty sure Jesus is going to go, you're both actually wrong. And I mean this with love, but you're both morons. And that'll be to the pastors, not to you as the church. That'll be to me and my brothers in ministry. And so in that place, we say, okay, God, we've interpreted Scripture. We've read through Scripture. We've wrestled with Scripture. 
We've sought in every way possible to avoid sin. And this is where we've landed. But we know that they've landed there. And so we extend liberty and charity and grace to one another. It was the early Baptists who fought the hardest for religious liberty. Not for license to go and sin, but for freedom to practice what they truly believe Scripture calls them to do. And this is what we are called to do, to practice according to how we interpret and how we understand, 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 understand scripture, scripture to be. And we extend freedom. You know, in this coming Canadian Baptist of Western Canada assembly and the one in the following year where there will be two more motions, it's this distinctive that is really being tested. As we try and, and kind of balance what does it mean to be an autonomous local church in a free will association with a denomination, and therefore, as we submit to that denomination, what sort of authority does the denomination have over us? And I don't know if we will ever truly and happily reconcile those two, but by the grace of God, we're going to do the best we can, and we're going to extend love and charity. So what? Thanks, Brian, for that highly enlightening academic study and that lecture. What does that mean? What do I do with what you've just shared? What does marriage and the separation of church and state have to do with us? Well, I, I conclude and close with this. We live in a constantly changing world. Children and grandchildren have this unnerving ability to always do what their parents and grandparents don't want them to do. Last night at the wedding, I was sitting chatting with a couple, Cindy and I were chatting with a couple from the church, and we were just talking about how when we grew up and we went to church, everyone had suits and ties on. Heaven forbid a preacher would wear jeans. I heard that, amen, John. That's, what, that's how we grew up. And so for many of you who sit in church, you go, where is that sense of respect? Where is that sense of worship? Why is it that our children and our grandchildren keep changing? You know, I, I have no idea what my grandchildren and my grandchildren are going to look like in church. But I know I'm going to be like John. And I'm going to go, what, what are they wearing? Where is the respect? And it's going to bring us back. And I give John a hard time because I love him. And I know he loves me. It's going to bring us back to that question over and over again. Is it the message that is important? Or is it the method? Is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it the way that we package it as we present it? My brothers and sisters, we live in a constantly changing world. Even church will look very different in two to three to four generations' time. But as long as we come back to proclaiming the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're in the right place. 
You know that distinctive of the separation of church and state? Did you hear that line that, I, that is included? It says, the church is called to be salt and light in the world, pointing to the kingdom of God and contributing to the greater good of all. Why is marriage important? Why is the separation of church and state important? Why are our Baptist distinctives important? Why is our statement of faith important? Because it's where we become salt and light in the world in desperate need of us to be salt and light so that they discover the kingdom of God. Let us be that church that impacts the world as we proclaim the kingdom. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you, by your spirit, guide your church. You direct us when we come together corporately. And as we, with humility and with a sense of desperation, cry out to you, God, what would you have us do? How would you have us live? How would you have us act in this world that is constantly changing? In a world that seems to deny God. In a world that seems to kind of throw off what we believe to be Christian and moral decency. How do we live? And Jesus, I thank you that we have a statement of faith. And I thank you that we have these beliefs that we as, as churches together have discussed and debated for decades. We've even voted on motions within our assembly gatherings. And we've held to this belief that you call us to live according to distinctives that set us apart. Not so that we can get proud or arrogant, not so that we can believe ourselves better than others, but so that we can be salt and light in the world. So that we would have opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the gift of marriage. Indeed, it is a gift. I thank you for those who in the last few weeks have have celebrated through getting married. I pray that you would bless those unions. Those in this congregation this morning who perhaps have been married for many, many years. God, I pray that you would reawaken uh, that joy and that sense of celebration. Lord, I know that not every marriage has joy. And there are many that are on the brink of failure and, and separation. And I pray that in those places you would, by your spirit, bring your presence. And you would work and help them discover restoration and reconciliation. In those that need extra help like counseling or, or whatever else, God, I pray that those avenues would be explored. So that again we would see the spiritual picture of you, Jesus, and us, your bride. And then, God, for this distinctive of separation between church and state, I thank you, Lord, that you call the church to be different. That, Lord, you've given us rulers and authorities and rules and, and those who would govern over us for the well-being of the whole nation. I pray you would bless our leaders. 
God, there are times we look at our leaders and we question and we doubt and we get angry. But God, I pray that you would, would move through them for the sake of this nation and indeed the nations of the world. And then, Lord, in the midst of those nations, I pray for churches like White Rock Baptist and those around us. Lord, when we see the frightening statistics of churches shrinking and dying and closing, shepherds and pastors resigning and quitting in record numbers in this time, oh God, would you build your church so that indeed your church would be salt and light in the place you put us. And then God, remind each one of us that we're not solo, we're not alone, we're not uh, to do life as individuals, but that we're part of a community. We're part of a body. We're brothers and sisters together in Christ. And God, as we come together, may we indeed be salt and light. For we pray this as your children and as one body we say, amen. Amen.